only what is useful for building up, as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, together with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. These are the words of Ephesians 4.25 through 5.2. And uh, today we are continuing on with our uh, look at the lectionary epistle readings through Ephesians. And we come to uh, a set of very interesting verses. In our verses preceding our reading, Paul's been talking about uh, putting off the old self and putting on the new self, our uh, new identity in Christ. And the focus of our passage for study uh, is the practical form of what Paul, well, what he had in mind in terms of the common life of the church. And it should be noted that between uh, 425 and chapter 5, verse 2, there are 13 imperatives, 13 commands. Now, verse 25 begins with a familiar theme of speaking the truth, or as Paul said earlier in chapter 4, uh, speak the truth in love. Yes, we should put away all lying. All the lies must stop because this goes against what God wants for us. This is part of the old life from uh, apart from Christ. It's also a statement that before Christ, our existence uh, itself was false and filled with lies. It was an existence where sin was rule, was, was king, was ruler. Whereas true existence is in Christ, and Paul is thinking here of Zechariah 8, 16 and 17, where he says, These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another and love no false oath. For all these things are things that I hate, says the Lord. It's also worth noting since we're looking back into the Old Testament, that the Jewish idea of truth could mean and is often intertwined with faithfulness. So in this context, uh, to tell lies and to present falsehoods is to revert back to the old ways of life before Christ. It is disloyalty and unfaithfulness to each other within the body of Christ and its disloyalty and unfaithfulness to Christ himself to live in such a manner. Now, as we move on to verse 26, uh, well, verse 26 seems to be kind of problematic since the literal translation is, be angry, but do not sin. 
this seems to be at odds with verse 31, which tells us to put away all of our anger. But here in verse 26, be angry is actually an imperative, as many will point out. But although it's an imperative, it's a concessive imperative, which means it would be perfectly fine to read this verse as, if you become angry, do not sin. Or, when you become angry, do not sin. The Bible does not fall in line with the uh, Stoic ideas of the absolute abolition of anger. The Bible recognizes and embraces anger as an authentic emotion, but it does have its limits. We need to point out that um, we need to point out the three times uh, that anger appears, twice in verse 26 and once in verse 31, uh, are all three times three different Greek words with three different connotations. But all three appear in English as anger, or at least they do in the, uh, the NRSV. In verse 31, it is anger as a turbulent commotion, a boiling agitation that is overflowing, which is condemned. That's something we should put away. The second anger uh, in verse 26 is uh, irritation, exasperation, or embitterment. But the first one, uh, our imperative, is an anger that is tempered with reason. Some call it a righteous anger or a righteous indignation, especially when it's on behalf of others, or uh, an anger at the sin and evil in the community and the world. In Mark chapter 3, we have a story of Jesus in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees were watching him to see if he would he heal a man with a, a withered hand, which in their eyes would be to break the command to keep the Sabbath holy. Jesus is angered at this. It's the same word as our imperative here in verse 26. Jesus sees their hardened hearts, and he is angry on behalf of this suffering man. But his anger, though, is expressed in grief. He looked around at them with anger, it says. He was grieved at their hardness of heart. But even though there are occasions for anger, our anger should not be allowed to fester until it is an uncontrolled rage just boiling over, overtaking us, or allow us to become so irritated that we become embittered. You know, to do so would be to fall into sin. It would open the door of our hearts to the devil. This is why Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. As Christians, we should always be working tirelessly toward reconciliation. And if reconciliation is not possible, 
then at the end of the day, we have to unburden our hearts of any festering or building anger. Now, verse 28 is interesting uh, because Paul gives, uh, Paul's giving practical advice for the common life of the church. So it's an educated guess that thievery was taking place within the church. I would love to know the context behind uh, this verse, but I'm afraid that all I can offer you is speculation. So it goes without saying, though, that the Ten Commandments condemns stealing with an absolute thou shalt not steal. But I will point out that um, what we're giving up in thievery is a, a selfish desire. And what we're embracing is making an honest living so that we may have something to give to the needy, Paul says. Now, as we move on to verse 29, uh, this involves the speech coming out of our mouths. And this is more than the four-letter words that would turn Aunt Betty blue. This is being intentional about the way we talk to other people and the way we view other people. It is being intentional before we speak. It's intentional in the motive of building another person up in the faith. It is a recognition that God uses us to speak grace into the life of another person. And then as we move to verse 30, he gives us, uh, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Now in 1 Thessalonians, Paul tells the church not to quench the Spirit. In Acts 7.51, Luke uh, tells the people to stop, or tells of the people resisting the Holy Spirit. And Isaiah 63.10 gives us the same idea of resisting the Spirit. And if we follow this same vein, then grieving the Holy Spirit is a warning not to resist the Spirit's work in the life of the church. The Holy Spirit is God's purpose and God's will being fulfilled in this world. And if we grieve the Holy Spirit, then we are resisting God's purpose and God's will in the world, in the life of the church, and in our own lives. In the context of uh, the Ephesian church, to grieve the Holy Spirit is to resist this strengthening whereby Christ would dwell in our hearts by faith and we would live in unity of the Spirit within the church. And then Paul goes on in verse 31 to tell us to put away, uh, put away things such as bitterness, wrath, anger, wrangling and slander and in case there's something he's not missed he uh, ends the list with together with all malice and not to get this confused with verse 26 but the anger again that he's talking about in verse 31 is already discussed is this uh, turbulent commotion this uh, boiling agitation that is overflowing so instead of presenting these things in the life of the church which causes division 
uh, dissolves the work of reconciliation and grieves the Holy Spirit, Paul goes on to verse 32 to say that we should be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving others just as Christ has forgiven us. So I think we're safe to say that verse 32 is the antithesis of verse 31. And it's worth noting that all commentators do not agree with the translation of crestoi as kind, since the underlying word is derived from the word good. And good is an attribute of God, whereas many see this translation as kind, as too soft. In the uh, practical sense, my opinion is that kind works well here since it lifts up the idea of the kindness of Christ to the people that he ministered to. But from a, if we're going from a theological perspective, then the idea behind this is good as an attribute of God that the church is to imitate, which is a theme that Paul will pick up in 5.1. So either one, I think gets the point across. And Paul will end the verse with forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. Instead of emphasizing the perfection among believers, Paul is presuming that along the way there will be bumps in the road. And this is how you get over those bumps in the road by treating others the way Christ has treated us as it relates to day-to-day -day life. And our reading ends with this idea of imitating God. And Paul likes to use the uh, language of imitation. You'll come across that in his letters. Uh, we are to imitate though uh, what we can see and understand which is not the hidden God who is completely other than us, but to imitate Christ who makes the love of God visible to us. He goes on to define uh, this imitation as living in the love of Christ. And this makes a perfect bookend with chapter 4, verse 1, which instructs us to live a life worthy of the calling which you have received. And how do we do this? Well, chapter 5, verse 2 holds the answer. By living in this love of Christ. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.